0: Hello and welcome to Narratives, the podcast where each episode we examine how neuroscience is depicted in a work of fiction and talk about the real world science behind it. I'm Stephen Ho and with me is Nick Halper.
1: Hello, Stephen. And uh, I guess I shouldn't say welcome back, huh? Because we don't know if this is...
0: Yeah, don't talk about how the sausage is made.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's no sausage here. Just movies and commentary. Good. Okay. (laughs)
0: So we will not be talking about Lucy quite yet. Well, I mean, we will be, but we haven't watched it. Uh, This is our pre-record where seemingly neither of us has watched this movie before.
1: Right. Uh, Which is good. It's fun to encounter movies that are new to both of us. I mean, Lucy is uh, obviously on our radar. It's about some sort of like, I think the premise is like mind expanding drug, you know, like you use 100% of your brain. There's like. This is we could do a whole series on this concept.
0: Yes, although we could, although it would really only take us one episode to sort of debunk the primary ideas behind it. But, you know, we're certainly more than happy to watch the movies.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Each one of them will certainly approach this in a fresh new way. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You only use 20 percent of your brain. (laughs) And if you use 100%, you can bend bullets in time. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Lucy is one of a number of movies that have this as their high-concept central idea. Now, um, Lucy was released in 2014. Interestingly, it was written and directed by Luc Besson, which... um, Do you you know much of Luc Besson's work? No, remember how I'm uncultured, (laughs) Stephen? In North America... He's likely known for first the fifth element with Bruce Willis, you know, Lee with you know, Leelu, um gosh, what's his name? Something Dallas, Corbin Dallas, multipass. I don't I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's a cult sci fi hit. Oh, no. Okay. Well, it's very good. It has a blue <laughs> opera singer that sings things that are literally impossible to sing. They layered multiple tracks to make it oh, cool. a thing um, like but she's an alien yeah the blue offers yeah. anyway fifth element is very fun gary oldman just like chews scenery and steals every scene he's in um the other movie he's known for in north america is uh the professional uh which mm, yeah. stars john reno as a an assassin who is uh, illiterate and and i don't remember the movie that much but it also stars like a 13 year old at the time natalie portman who is somebody who, who, like, I don't remember exactly what it is, but, like, I think she somehow crosses paths with him, and he ends up taking care of her and protecting her from other assassins. Okay. Based on the fifth element, he's very good at, like, stylized, uh, very stylized direction, Mm -hmm. over-the-top, like, action. So that's that's sort of what I expect from this.
1: Yeah, and... I think that makes sense with like the category of movie this falls into. I mean, I, I like, I haven't seen this movie yet, but I feel like I've seen this movie. (laughs) Um, This like stylized action, like over the top visuals approach. Like I'm excited to compare it to, you know, movies we've seen with similar like tilt to them. Right. Such as ghost in the shell.
0: Ah, yes. (laughs) I I don't know if we mentioned this, but Lucy stars somebody we've encountered in a previous episode uh scarlett johansson
1: yeah ScarJo. uh i think I, I think it'll be fun to compare like kind of like maybe how she treats her role in this movie like given that they are both uh this kind of like topic of uh expanded capabilities uh superhuman uh how she kind of like differentiates her role i guess in these two movies
0: now oh, that'll be an interesting uh sort of comparative exercise there um looking at how Scarlett Johansson lives in this role, so to speak. I think that's basically what we expect out of Lucy. Yeah. Know, any, I uh, mean, <laughs> oh, Morgan Freeman is also in this movie.
1: I know. I saw that. Um, I'm excited for that piece. Uh, apparently there's like this, like tilt in this movie. I was just like reading through the Wikipedia. Um, on like diversity of the cast. <laughs> and so, be interesting to see if that's actually like kind of like reflected in the movie.
0: Well, I guess we're off to watch this at some point in in the next week or so, and we'll be back to discuss. This movie was dumb.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just this, that's how we're gonna do this. <laughs> and to be
0: clear, like I expected this movie to be dumb. Yeah, but somehow <laughs> it exceeded my expectations and was dumber than I thought it was going to be. And the thing is like I think because of how dumb this movie was, I feel like it just didn't take itself ser- like I couldn't take it seriously at all because of how dumb it was and I feel like that kept me from thinking it was like bad or anything.
1: Okay, sure. I mean, I do think it recognizes itself for what it is. Mm-hmm. they know what they're doing here scarlet knows her role <laughs> like <laughs> this movie is what it is yes i agree that it was dumb in ways that i didn't expect it to be dumb
0: <laughs> oh yeah you know like um i did not expect godlike powers i usually when we think about the whole like 10 percent myth or whatever it's like oh this person becomes like rain man right like and and sure and can do all these complex calculations and like is basically a human computer.
1: Maybe I knew enough about this movie to know to expect that. But (laughs) even with that, there were things in it that I did not expect. Basically there's certain scenes that I think that they shot that I think were like really weird choices in a movie. That's just like supposed to be like an action movie about having Godlike powers. Yes. But we'll we'll get to them.
0: To recap, I don't know why I'm recapping. This is really more for me and you than the audience. For the audience, it's literally been like no time at all. But um, Lucy, directed by Luc Besson, um, director of The Fifth Element and Leon the Professional. And I didn't actually know this, but uh, apparently Taken as well. Oh. Which I feel like now that I remember that, some of the way some of the action sequences are shot make actually a lot of sense.
1: I do think this director made some... Fun and interesting choices with how they interleave scenes in the movie. This whole like nature documentary stuff that the movie starts off with is intriguing. I think maybe like obviously dramatic and silly, but different. It was mm-hmm. attention catching.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I was expecting like sort of David Attenborough's voice to like start you know narrating as if it was like BBC Planet Earth. I mean. <laughs> You know, we got Morgan Freeman narrating, so it's not too much of a step down. But uh, yeah, it was weird, especially
1: with the animals all having sex. That was a uh, yeah. We got a full on like mating and then birthing reel. It mm-hmm. was a, uh, that was a thing that, that happened. caught me off guard. <laughs> uh, yep, <laughs> Morgan Freeman also. Not to like get us off track here, there was another movie uh, that Morgan Freeman was a major character in or actor in. Uh, That was also about like mind expansion.
0: Is that Limitless? Uh, I know Limitless is the Bradley Cooper one of these. I I don't know if anyone else. I don't know of anyone else that was in that movie. What's the one where they bend bullets? Oh, oh gosh. Wanted. I think.
1: Wanted. (laughs) Yeah. That movie slaps. (laughs) That's what (laughs) Freeman said. But that one is basically about uh, mind expansion, right?
0: Something along those lines. So I remember basically nothing from that movie because I think I watched it on a plane. But my understanding is just like, uh, you know how like, you know, when you throw like a baseball, right? Because it has, you know, the stitches on it, you can basically grip it in a certain way and release it a certain way. And then because of the uneven surface, it will it will spin or like, or it will drop like, you know, rapidly. Yes, yes. I think the idea is that they are doing something similar when they shoot their guns because they're like, it's the same thing with like when you see ping pong players when they're putting spin on the ball. Yes. They basically do that with their guns. And that is what bends the bullets. That's my understanding. I don't think uh, they're telekinetic. No, no,
1: it's not telekinetic. It's not ScarJo uh, CPH4 superpowers. But so here's a little excerpt. In In Wanted, Sloan explains that Wesley's panic attacks are actually a rare ability that allows mm. him to produce massive amounts of adrenaline, slowing his perception of his surroundings. I guess they're slowing his time perception, basically, and granting him superhuman speed. And this mm. is why he can bend bullets, I guess. Ah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so maybe an interesting film in the future for time perception, which is a topic we have not explored very much.
0: No, we have not. In this movie, I'm not actually entirely certain why, but this movie spends a decent amount of time talking about time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I connected this so much to Wanted. It almost does so like it's I don't get what the emphasis is on time. I mean, I get I get literally the message they're saying and like it does connect all these things in the movie. I don't. I say this movie is dumb,
0: but I don't understand this movie's message.
1: you It's because you're only using 9% of your brain, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> Try starting with 10% at least, okay? Okay. I mean, they at least bring the time idea full circle at the end, I guess sure. what I'm saying. Yes, yes. But yeah, I mean, I don't know why the movie is like, I don't know why that—it's that's its baseline theme. Because it seems like a weird like attempt at making it more cerebral than it is. Basically, Mm -hmm. like it's this like weird stitched on. Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) have you heard about the
0: Terrence Howard one times one is not one thing? No. Or like one. Okay, so there's an actor. He was the original War Machine in Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 1, I think. Contract negotiations for subsequent Marvel movies like went south and he was fired as War Machine. And uh, which is a very, very silly thing. In retrospect, given that he would have been in multi-billion dollar movies and he was an Oscar award winning like actor at the time. And so he would have commanded probably like, you know, some percent of that, even though he wasn't the lead. Anyways, he went on this weird thing where he like tried to develop a crypto city in somewhere in West Africa. And like tried to develop this crypto city from scratch as well as also penning this famous quote unquote mathematical proof where he tries to prove that like one times one does not equal one. And if you ever read that, so this whole like concept in like rational discourse called not even wrong, where you say something so nonsensical that like it's simply just not something that can be proven wrong because it's, it is just, it's effectively non sequitur. Yeah, sure. I have tried to read that proof. It is not even wrong. And uh, yeah, I feel like when I'm trying to follow some of the philosophical like ramblings that Scarlet gets into when she's like in full I'm in 100% brain mode. I'm just like oh, what that is how I feel like this is not even wrong. What what is what are you saying? What are these words? <laughs>
1: I mean, this is especially funny because she she talks about this whole 1 plus 1 thing, right? Like, this is a line, is a line from a movie. Yes, okay. I'm just going to read the excerpt from Terrence Howard here. I mean, I know this is like a long proof or whatever, like a bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a summary here uh, that says, if 1 times 1 equals 1, that means 2 is of no value because 1 times itself has no effect. 1 times 1 equals 2 because the square root of 4 is 2. So what's the square root of two? It should be one, but we're told it's two, and that cannot be. What? <laughs> First off, there's there are things in there that are actually wrong. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's the that's that's the basis. That's that was what was brought to your mind as you watched this movie. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> but clearly I'm just
0: not using enough of my brain capacity. <laughs> And to be clear, I was entertained by this movie. Like, I did not, like, this was not a bad
1: time. Yeah, that that is a very good point. Like, I had a great time watching this movie. And, like, I would suggest others watch it. I'm going to spoil my, like, recommendation from the end. (laughs) Like, I think you should watch this movie. It's a really dumb movie. But dumb movies are oftentimes worth watching. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, we we talked about our only two, our, our, our main two actors here. Mm-hmm. Scarjo our favorite on our <laughs> yes. narratives podcast frequent uh, visitor and uh, Morgan Freeman I think this is our first time seeing Morgan Freeman here I believe it is as well we probably talked about this on the
0: pre-record it's been like a month so I don't remember but this movie basically uh, uh, you know uh, has the premise of like oh you know it kind of leans heavily on the myth that. We as humans only use 10% of our brains. And if we were to be able to use more of it, we would be capable of so much more.
1: Notably, this movie takes a slightly different. Like, this 10% brain myth, I think, takes many different forms. There's like Mm -hmm. some of this, like, you only use 10% of your brain at a time. And then there's this, like, very closely related, you actually only use 10% of your brain. And the other stuff is like untapped, like, literally unused cortex and stuff that is just like never activated unless you somehow did activate it
0: yep and that Uh, is the much sillier
1: um version of the myth which is the one that this movie took
0: (laughs) (laughs) so why do people think this because this is a relatively widely held myth um and you know certainly pop culture does nothing to refute it for the most part so i did a minor bit of a rabbit hole diving here and So most of these, uh, most of this is from a Scientific American article by a uh, Brian Beyerstein, a researcher at Simon Fraser University in Canada. Apparently, nobody actually like scientifically thought this ever, but it does have some basis in writings from like a prominent American psychologist named William James, who lived from eighteen forty two to nineteen
1: ten. It's a funny thing. I mean, like just like given the the basis of this myth is kind of like electrophysiological it seems like uh, people are often talking about like activation of neurons you're only activating 10% or whatever and so it's a i think it's specifically a funny myth to exist just given that like by the time we could record neurons it's like very obvious that you're not just using 10% of them but anyway continue
0: <laughs> when we talk about a few of the points that Morgan Freeman goes through in his lecture i want to come back to that actually okay so American psychologist William James, one of the first psychologists to emphasize consciousness as like a biological function and sort of like embraced complexity and dynamism of the mind, he didn't say, we only use 10% of the brain and we'd be freaking superhuman if we did. He did not say that, to be clear. But he apparently wrote a lot of pop science articles emphasizing that people tend to achieve only a small amount of their potential. But Did not explicitly attribute this to limited use of brain capacity.
1: Sure, and and I mean, like depending on how you're trying to quantify capacity, that is also like maybe experimentally evident too. So talking about it from the psychological perspective, we so far have not been able to detect like a clear limit to memory, for example. Like we can continue to remember many many things. And so, like, if you pointed out to somebody who, like, literally didn't know very much, you'd be like, yeah, you're not using very much of your brain capacity. It kind of makes sense, I guess, that point, at least.
0: And, like, you know, when we think about it from a modern lens, like, you know, people nowadays think about memory or it's easy to think about memory in their brain in the same way that they think about memory on their phone or on their computer, Mm -hmm. right? You have a finite amount of things you your phone can hold X amount of things, your brain can hold X amount of things. And the idea that there is no, you know, detected ceiling on that is perhaps, perhaps what fuels this in popular culture somewhat. (laughs) So uh, William James did not say anything about like, you know, 10% of the brain or whatever. But other people said that he said that most notably, author journalist Lowell Thomas, who literally put words in William James's mouth in the foreword that he wrote for How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a very, very prominent self-help book. So that is what this author attributes much of the the
1: spread of this uh, myth to. That is wild. (laughs) So that's... Okay. Some guy was asked to, like, guest spot, write a foreword to this, like, very popular book, uh, and... Just, like, made some crap up in there?
0: Yeah. Or, or, you know, maybe, like, received something, like, you know, through telephone, right? Yeah. Like he probably heard from somebody that this guy said that, said that, right? That That's probably what it is. I, I don't know that he just, like, literally just made it up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess we won't know, mm-hmm. but
0: it apparently is often attributed to Albert Einstein as well. There is no textual evidence either in writings, private letters or like, you know, quotes to media of Albert Einstein ever saying this. There is also the idea that maybe this is a misunderstanding of the term silent cortex, which is a larger proportion of cortical like surface area than, you know, primary cortex which is possibly why they now term those areas association cortexes, like, you know, motor association um, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, visual association. Now that we can perform intracranial studies and stuff, we now know that, you know, those cortices, they're not super silent. They perform a lot of abstract processing that's supportive of the primary cortexes. But at the time, you know, the primary cortex, like primary motor, primary sensory, primary visual cortex, those are much more directly mapped to like, either sensory input or, like, a motor action of some kind, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you, Hubel and Wiesel, you move the bar of light and you see this part in primary visual cortex light up like a Christmas tree. That's easier to see and easier to understand, and definitely, like, 50 to 60 years ago than was the idea of, like, the abstract processing and object identification that maybe happens in, like, the association areas of visual cortex. Yeah, totally understandable. And then there's just, like, the idea that, like, People, they look at a like functional mapping, like Mm -hmm. an image of functional mapping and they say, ah, they literally just like look at the thing and they Mm -hmm. see this little red spot when they, when they say, oh, we did this, or we said this word, or they did this task and everything else is gray. Right. And they're like, aha, they're only using 10% of the brain because that thing lit up. And so that's just kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of like even baseline brain activity is like still stuff is still happening
1: yeah and that's like related to i guess how we image things and like how we highlight and show things and uh also it's like just like task oriented and like um single variable oriented nature of like science Mm -hmm. uh so understandable i think one thing i'll just kind of like mention here it's like not directly related but it maybe plays on this idea of like baseline brain activity and kind of like noise or like non-useful activity in the brain at, at an SFN like keynote or whatever that like main uh, plenary session is uh, society for neuroscience. I should say that's Uh keynote. Buzaki talked a lot about kind of like changing this idea of uh, how we think about neural activity. I'm going to oversimplify his point, but effectively his point was that like there is lots of noise and that the brain basically like learning is like basically developing a set of like filters for that noise so that we like focus or like create neural activity that is like useful and produces useful outputs. It's, it's a little bit of like a, a turn on the theory of developing pathways that specifically route or like generate certain signals versus being like this kind of like filter oriented or like uh, whatever you'd kind of call it. Maybe in some way, maybe there is like some brain activity that is doing things that are like semi-useless or noisy. But whatever amount that is, uh, and how useless it is, is like not understood, <laughs> and not ten percent.
0: And I don't think this needs to be said at this point, but the ten percent thing is not true. <laughs> I probably should have led with that one.
1: <laughs> you did call it a myth from the beginning, mm-hmm. so that's good. But yeah, this whole movie, I mean you mentioned the movie kind of like leans into this. I mean, the movie is like the movie could exist without that myth and the movie could like still just be like a superhuman person on drugs. Mm-hmm. But the movie is like very much centered on this point. Oh yeah. We get like title cards that show the brain percentage increasing as we like move between scenes in the movie. It's it's fantastic.
0: So um, with that, shall we get into this movie?
1: Yes. All right.
0: We start off with weird wildlife and nature documentary scenes, and those will just kind of happen throughout the movie. Often they are a very heavy-handed metaphor for whatever's going on or whatever mm-hmm. is being spoken about at the time. We start with uh, traffic scenes and establishing shots in Taipei, Taiwan. They, in one of the establishing shots, there is the Taipei 101 tower, which for about... I think like a year and a half was the tallest building in the world until the Burj uh, Dubai in um, in Dubai was completed. It's a sweet looking building. It's cool. We meet Lucy and her boyfriend Richard and Richard uh, is like Richard is the kind of person that you feel like you need to take a shower after
1: meeting this person. Yeah, not just because he's like gross looking or feeling purely. There's uh, it's, it's, this person like seems like they're kind of like oozing drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Like, <laughs> like licking his, his sweat is like psychoactive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Like you, it, it, like you feel like you need to just do a stint in rehab, just like breathing the same air as him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he is well and truly very, very sleazy. He's trying to persuade his girlfriend Lucy into taking this sketchy briefcase to someone named Jang in a hotel.
1: You can tell he has like no thoughts or like morals in this like setup. Uh, He basically talks about how he's getting paid to do this. He doesn't know by who or why they're paying him so much. And he's been doing this kind of stuff for a while. He just delivers briefcases to this person in these random places and he doesn't ask questions. As far as we can tell, that's his job.
0: And he gets paid well for it, $1,000 each drop-off. But for whatever reason, he doesn't want to do it this time. And so he wants Lucy to do it. Lucy doesn't want any part of it. But Richard handcuffs her to the briefcase and is like, well, Jane's got the key. You want this thing off? There's only one thing you can do. Take the briefcase to him. And that's a super not cool thing to do.
1: No, Lucy doesn't like it.
0: (laughs) No. But um, nonetheless, Lucy goes in, asks for Jane at the uh, reception desk. And immediately once uh, Lucy asks for Jane, like the concierge is like, ah, crap. <laughs> like, you can tell something is wrong. He begins acting odd. He asks Lucy to stay in the lobby. Richard is like outside, you know, through the window being like, hell yeah, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> As a bunch of organized crime-looking guys just, like, pour out from the elevator. There's, like, half a dozen of these guys. And intercut when they show up are the nature documentaries except it's cheetahs.
1: So can you tell
0: what their role is in this scene? (laughs) They're the predators. The cheetah is a symbol for obviousness. (laughs) So they show up. They shoot Richard. Richard dies, presumably. And... They forcibly carry Lucy up to the penthouse suite where, you know, like in the Wizard of Oz, where like, yeah, Dorothy lands and the feet are sticking out from underneath the house. Yeah, that is exactly what this reminded me of. I'm so glad (laughs) you brought that up. So that's exactly what this is. Like some poor dude's feet are just sticking out from the bathroom. There's a lot of blood. And uh, Dorothy or uh, Lucy sees this and is just like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? So then we meet Mr. Jang, who walks out. He's got bloody hands. Clearly, he's been torturing or beating the crap out of, you know, whoever was in there. And he's really well dressed. Like, he looks like he's in, like, a really nice tailored gray silk three-piece suit. And he got blood all over that silk. Terrible. He speaks no English. We know this because Lucy asks, do you speak English? And uh, that's one thing that this movie gets really right, because there's nothing quite so authentic to the Asian experience as having a white woman patronizingly ask you if you speak English.
1: That. It shows up. She also accuses people of being not good at speaking English when she does talk to them. Uh, she asked this many times through this movie, by the way. So <laughs> see it again. <laughs> Which is
0: funny because, like, the director is French.
1: (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I actually expected that this guy did speak English. He just didn't want to speak English to her. I thought that was going to, like, show up later in this movie, and it did not.
0: Oh, I thought that, too. I actually thought, like, in the climactic scene at the end, he would just, like, start speaking English.
1: Yeah, it did not happen. It's also interesting because a lot of movies subtitle non-English speak. Like, this is is an English movie, (laughs) but there's no subtitles or... For anything, for almost the entire movie.
0: And given that this entire movie takes place in non-English speaking countries, I mean, eventually they'll move to France where people will speak English, but yeah. So Jang shows up, he's big and intimidating, and he puts a translator on the phone. So Lucy is like scared out of her mind at this point. Uh, she's just like pleading for her life, explaining the situation. She's like, Oh my God, I, you know, just Richard told me to bring this. I don't know anything. So please let me live, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so Jane is just like, he, he doesn't care. No. Jane gives her the combination to the briefcase. And this is actually a really funny scene. Everyone just like immediately backs away. <laughs>
1: They literally put up, like, riot shields slash, like, bomb shields. And, like, Jane completely steps out of the room. And she's like, is it dangerous? And the, I think somebody says no and tells her to open it. And she does. At gunpoint. Yeah, of course. What is in the briefcase but four pouches of blue powder. You see, because it's like cocaine. It's cocaine-esque, but it's blue. So you can tell it's super cocaine.
0: Mm-hmm. They bring a strung out drug addict in. This guy looks like every meth head that you've seen in every movie that has meth heads. He's unpleasant. (laughs) Yep. He's got bad teeth. They captured the meth head vibe very well. So good job to the makeup department and costuming. They make him snort it. He appears to not die. And so satisfied, they shoot him in the head.
1: Yeah. That is all they seem to be testing it for. (laughs) At, At first, I was like, are they testing if this is poisoned? Because that is not enough time. (laughs) But no, I think it was literally just to uh, see that it was like had an effect. It's odd, though, how little this group seems to know about this stuff, because it is like not much later where we find some people who know a lot about this stuff.
0: Yeah, so presumably these guys are just like the middlemen or whatever.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: I can't emphasize enough how terrified Lucy is through all of this. This is a pretty stressful situation. And then a dude gets his brain splattered all over her and then she gets punched in the face and knocked out.
1: Yeah. I think she like, I think Scarlet like well plays the, like I am just like an innocent, normal person doing like some sort of flaunt in a foreign country or whatever. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> she seems like somewhat unfamiliar with the, uh, where she is. And this is just like all very new and very scary to her.
0: We then cut to Morgan Freeman, who is giving a lecture in a lecture hall. So far as I can tell, he's just like spouting bad biology.
1: Yeah. To like what does not appear to be a college class, but rather like, I don't know, like mixed disciplinary or like a kind of like bigger conference sort of thing. So it is like a giant room and there's lots of people from very different ages in there.
0: This entire scene is still like interspersed with nature documentary and then like human achievement scenes of like, you know, cityscapes and rocket ships taking off or whatever and what have you. He emphasizes that all human achievement has been done despite the fact that we only use 10% of cerebral capacity and then compares it to the idea that, well, we use 10% and that's pretty high among most animals, but guess who uses 20%? Dolphins. And you know what? They have a superpower. Superpower they have sonar
1: uh yeah and they are the only animal sonar obviously oh my god what about bats (laughs) never heard of them what is a bat
0: do bat what percentage of bats brains do bats use
1: bats don't have brains (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh Yeah, so that's a weird scene. He does say that most animals are at 3 to 5%, which is also especially funny to compare dolphins to it.
0: Yeah, no, like, dolphins using zonar, that's not, like, a superpower that they develop. That's literally just, like, biology. We know how it works. They just evolved it.
1: Yeah, I don't know why they put this in here. It would have been totally fine to just leave. Like, humans would be very happy to consider themselves at the top of this fictional pyramid of brain capacity usage which by the way is the specific term he uses here cerebral capacity making it sound more like an officially accepted scientific term
0: so we'll just move on morgan freeman doesn't know what bats are
1: yeah it's it's kind of a strange scene uh but it establishes the premise of the movie and we get to listen to morgan freeman not just narrate but like give a lecture uh which is very nice would continue to listen
0: So uh, we cut from that lecture to Lucy, who wakes up to find a sutured incision on her abdomen. She is brought to Jang, along with three other people. It's sort of implied that Jang has kind of taken a liking to her.
1: Yeah. Like, in this scene, basically, there's these four people lined up who've all been, like, forced to be drug mules, basically. And he gives her a little sip of his drink. Mm -hmm. Not to the three others, though.
0: Should be noted that, like, the three others are, like, these scruffy-looking dudes. Um, And she is an attractive blonde. Yeah. So the mules are told that they each have had a bag of the drug CPH4 implanted into their agamen and they must deliver this to, you know, the designated destination or their families will be murdered.
1: It's a pretty standard deal in this world. Mm -hmm. Sounds fair. (laughs) So, um,
0: you know what I was thinking?
1: What is CPH for?
0: What were you thinking? Well, yes, I was thinking that, but like, well, actually, no, I wasn't thinking that. I I didn't care, <laughs> but uh, but um, I was thinking about like, have they done biocompatibility on that pouch? What is <laughs> the encapsulation on that pouch?
1: Uh, Ziploc?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, that's gonna be implanted for at least twenty four hours. Like, have they done like, you know. St- Systemic toxicity on that pouch or uh, local effects or anything?
1: Hey, does not touch circulating blood purposefully, uh, is less than 24 hours, basically is only touching like skin and like mucous membranes. Okay, so like is it just like subcutaneous? Because
0: like they said, they like, because like they say later, they like, sh- it's like in their intestines.
1: Yeah, I mean, like when you look at it, it's just like in there with their organs. So like you know. Okay, it's so fine. For,
0: what's that like membrane that like holds all your business in there? Oh gosh, I...
1: Yeah, basically like the like organ sac fascia. Yeah. Yeah. So we think that so we think it's not going underneath that. No, I think they show it touching intestines. So I think they're puncturing that fascia. It's like Ew. in there with the organs. Gross. But the organs like themselves also tend to have like some sort of fascial layer on them. So like I think you could argue this is just membrane touching. Okay. I don't know. Ten nine nine three NXA says like do some cytotoxicity. <laughs> so, you know, a little bit of irritatization sensitization. hmm Probably good. All right. <laughs> well, as it turns out, biocompatibility of the
0: bag is not really the issue here. It's more the hermeticity of the bag, which uh
1: in the <laughs> the bag does not pass the like uh, impact test that would be common <laughs> for implantables because she gets impacted in the abdomen. Sorry. Spoiler. Yeah. and the bag <laughs> opens also spoiler. That's the premise of the movie. <laughs> so we cut back to
0: uh, Morgan Freeman on the, in the lecture hall. And I, I don't know what they're saying here. They're just like something about like cells. If, they can't
1: reproduce will become immortal and like, okay. <laughs> <I don't laughs> it's the time that. theme again. You skipped <laughs> it at the beginning, the nature documentary scenes at the beginning, the overlying thing was we've been gifted time. Like what do we do with it? And then they like talk about evolution and whatever. Yes. We also get this important point towards the beginning of the movie when Richard is talking to Lucy and he like makes some sort of joke about, Hey, he was at the museum and apparently like the first, you know, it, it, neanderthal or primate or whatever like early hominid discovered is named lucy
0: Mm -hmm. australopithecus thank you in the great rift valley in uh in africa because it's hypothesized that that is where uh all of humanity's common ancestors like migrated out from
1: yes cradle of life what we get here is borgen freeman is basically saying time is all we have like as far as we can tell the only purpose of life is to move forward in time. And cells try to do that in two ways, either become immortal or reproduce. And specifically, he gives this point here saying, in a hostile environment, they become immortal. And in like a nice, caring, whatever, like rich environment, they reproduce. There's no basis for any of this. He just says so. this... Yeah, Uh, it actually almost seems counterintuitive to like real life. And when we think about like immortal animals, they tend to be like corals and jellies that have like no aggravated environment around them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he says all this. It's semi-important because it comes back later in the movie.
0: It will. And it becomes a theme of like spoilers. Lucy unlocks her brain and has a bit of an existential crisis. So this idea of what do I do? You know, how, what do I do with my time now because I have so much of it or whatever, or, or rather, so little of it, but yet so much to
1: offer? Yeah. Yes.
0: So, back to um, the impact testing of the uh, pouch of drugs, um, we cut back to Lucy, who is taken to this sketchy looking dungeon thing and chained to the wall for some reason. Um, I'm not sure why. Yeah, this is a terrible pre flight area. Yeah. <laughs> You would think that they would just like take her to the airport and send her on her way, but whatever. Um, instead, she's beaten up by some goons for resisting their advances, and uh, the pouch breaks, and we get this cool little like Osmosis Jones style like uh, cut of the drug, you know, rushing out of the bag and being uptaken into her system, and 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 she becomes a Fremen from Dune. <laughs> her eyes get really blue for yes, anyone yes. that has not read or seen Dune. That's good. She's on the Spice. <laughs> I, I mean, like, oh, my God, the oh, effects dude. of Spice are somewhat similar, right? That's how, like, the guild, like, yeah, the, navi- the navigators really... become, like, navigate space time. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Is this just a Dune <laughs> continuation? Look, I like Dune. I liked Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I would totally watch a Luc Besson, like, <laughs> Dune adaptation. Like, those fight scenes would slap.
1: Uh, So, yeah, okay, good. CPH4 is spice. That's (laughs) canon for me now.
0: The CPH4 must flow.
1: (laughs) And it does. All through ScarJo's veins. And we get lots of fun little movies of it. So,
0: what happens to her here? Because immediately after this scene, I was like, well, uh,
1: wasn't expecting that. Yeah, this is, like, if you go into this movie not expecting the superhuman abilities, like, your world gets turned over right here. Uh, because, uh, she, like, you get the Osmosis Jones scene, and then she is immediately, like, has lost control of gravity, (laughs) like, or something. She's, like, floating along the walls, up the ceiling, on the lights. She's exploding light bulbs with her brain power, I guess. It's kind of crazy, and- It is seemingly not like a. This is not like a hallucination as far as we can tell. Like, this is something that's really happening. Uh, And what we get cut next to it makes this make even less sense, actually, because Morgan Freeman says when you hit 20% brain power, you could control your own bodily functions and processes. Yes. So, why is she flailing about? Yeah. It's really weird.
0: One thing I do want to comment on this uh sequence is that I really like the use of the chain. Yeah, it's an interesting cool. Like I think the chain does a really good job in selling what's happening to her and like giving the viewer a reference for what like the forces acting on her are doing because it goes taut, it kind of like, you know, flails one way or another and it just provides another reference point.
1: For sure. It also makes it easier to tell which way is up in this like all gray cell. Um but yeah, Morgan Freeman's lecture here does not agree with what is happening to ScarJo's. I don't no. know like why he, they interleaved it here and made it say this. In any case, we get cut to this like lecture scene where he basically is like talking about what would he predicts would happen at different like brain capacities mm-hmm. uh, or like cerebral capacity usage. And twenty percent is like controlling your own bodily functions and processes, like being able to regulate your heart heartbeat for example, consciously and like stuff like that, controlling cell reproduction or something. Mm-hmm. uh at 40 uh he suggests you'd be able to control other people and like we get like videos of like hypnotists and magicians and stuff uh and then at greater than 40 percent, you're supposed to be able to control matter he doesn't justify why this is the case uh shows him like tesla coils <laughs> somebody tries to call him out on it yeah true And he basically responds with like lots of people have thought like silly theories in the past. It's like up to us to prove that they are true or something. It's like a non-answer. Now I do want
0: to um, focus on one thing uh, he says here that you about like neurons firing or at the same Mm time. mm -hmm. He says that there are a hundred billion neurons in the human body and that's yeah that's true um in the ballpark in the right ballpark um, mm-hmm. it's variable obviously but and he says only fifteen percent are activated now, I don't know the validity of that percent number, but sure, what I will say is that like even if that number is true, only fifteen percent activate are activated or firing
1: at any one time.
0: It kind of doesn't matter because the way neural encoding works is that neural encoding. Like the information is carried in the frequency of the neuronal firing. Yes. So even if a neuron is firing slower
1: and not firing at a given time, it's just a different piece of information. It's not less information. Similarly, it would be kind of like arguing that your computer is only using 50% of its power because not all the bits are ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to start to bring up the argument that the brand is a computer or vice versa here. Not looking to trigger any internet trolls. Uh, <laughs> but like trying to be like, it's not on all the time. Is like, doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, it's simply like, it's not empty. It's simply negative space, so to speak. It carries yeah. as much information as the positive space.
1: Yeah, exactly. So of course we get in this scene, the brave audience member who's like, but professor what would happen at 100%? And he responds in this like very like, oh, wow, nobody has asked such a thought-provoking question before. (laughs) Like, oh, 100%. Well, I couldn't even predict that. It's just very silly.
0: It's very silly. Yeah, like this symposium is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. It takes place in like, like a classroom not like meeting center or a conference center the audience as you said is like this mixed audience like his first talk about biology or whatever doesn't even seem to be related to what he eventually ends up talking about it's it's just a i I should do a super cut of like just the lecture yeah just like what is this lecture just played straight through (laughs) yeah yeah you know and post it on youtube be like lucy but only the academic scenes
1: (laughs) that'd be good
0: him not having a hypothesis for what will happen as, at um, 100% cough, cough, you know, foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, we get to find out. As funny as this scene is, I actually do love the transition or like the new, the next scene we get of Lucy, I actually really like.
0: Oh, yeah. Like this next scene is like straight out of Taken, I realized after the fact.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: She wakes up, beats the crap out of the guard after luring him in to arm's reach, shoots all the goons pulls a bullet out of herself by hand and hijacks a taxi at gunpoint to take her to the hospital. And what's probably most notable is the change in her
1: herself. Demeanor. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I I really like about this like transition is like in the cell before, she's like having a terrible time. She's like fighting against this guard who's like sexually harassing her. He like kicks the shit out of her. She's very emotional. As soon as she is on her 20% (laughs) kick, she's just like, stoic and like sitting upright in the seat in like a very unnatural, like stiff way. I don't know. It's like a chilling to to look at, I guess when you see the first time. But I think the other thing that's that I enjoyed about this scene is the like fluidity of it. And like the obvious like fluidity of like mind state that she has, she's like thinking quickly, obviously that's what they're trying to show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I mean by that is like this scene feels like, approachable and reachable in some ways. Like, obviously, she's, like, superhuman and, like, doing things that are, like, beyond our capabilities. But the, like, fluidity of mind state and that kind of, like, ability to, like, think and execute quickly is, I think, something that is, like, obviously desirable, but also, like, almost feels within reach for like, a normal human. And so I think they at least, like, show that small upgrade off mm-hmm. in a way that's appealing.
0: They are all about the progression of abilities in this movie. And even if the movie continued with her only having this level of ability throughout the movie, I still feel like she would have encountered no obstacles to achieving any of her goals. Yeah. But it's definitely a lot more relatable than like, I don't know, transcending space time cough spoilers. Sorry.
1: (laughs) This movie is about time. (laughs) It's not anything about brain capacity at all.
0: Yep. Also, to be clear, throughout the movie, much like Taken, actually, as well, the protagonist encounters absolutely zero barriers to achieving anything they want to do at all.
1: Yes, which is an odd, like when we think about how we tell stories, <laughs> it's an odd take, like an odd direction to take things. So uh, Lucy apparently
0: has super hearing that... <laughs> But you know, the super hearing actually is not like really the point of this uh, scene. The point no. of the scene is that to show that she like learns uh, Mandarin, like that. Yes. So at the hospital, she makes her way to a surgical suite, barges in, shoots the patient. Apparently, he was going to die anyway, so like whatever. And uh, at gunpoint, forces the OR staff to remove the pouch from her.
1: Yeah. Again, all this like super fluidity. She's like very confident, knows exactly what's going to happen, knows everything. Knows that patient was going to die anyways because she's, like, a neurologist now.
0: Yeah, she goes and looks at, like, the uh, at the uh, CTs and, <laughs> and apparently sees something that the radiologist didn't.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then she calls her mom while she's getting surgery done uh, without anesthetic. And basically, like, starts talking about memory and how she can, like, remember everything that has ever happened to her. Mm-hmm. She, like, dwells for a long time on tasting her mother's milk in her mouth. Weird. that was an uncomfortable
0: line yeah
1: <laughs> uh but yeah we get a little bit bit of background on cph4 apparently pregnant women produce it in tiny amounts uh, I'll emphasize here again cph4 is like not even a real compound
0: okay I'm glad because <laughs> I was looking at I looked it up and googled and I was like I couldn't find any reference to it and I was like what like
1: what is this what is going on like yeah the only like biological thing called cph4 is this thing called it's frequently like shortened as CPH four synthase, which is basically um, uh, an enzyme that is uh, helps produce like components of this molecule called Cleosine, which is effectively like a specific type of molecule used and found in like bacterial genomes to protect them for like methylation or basically genome degradation. So yeah, it's uh, it does it's nothing like everything i just said there is nothing awesome <laughs> like this is not a compound it is not made by pregnant women in tiny amounts uh but they this person basically says like the surgeon says it's made by pregnant women in tiny amounts to give the baby the energy needed to grow its entire skeleton <laughs> which is a weird comparison uh yep i have nothing else
0: to say <laughs> yeah really the point of that scene is basically to emphasize that you know the surgeon is like oh Pregnant women make it in tiny amounts. You have almost half a kilogram of it has been uptaken into your system. I don't know how you're still alive. And Scarlet's just like,
1: yeah, don't
0: worry about it. I won't be for much longer. Because she apparently
1: knows that. Yes. Despite being able to control her cell growth. I don't understand why she knows she's going to die. Yeah.
0: But she does. So Lucy returns to Jang's penthouse, shoots up a bunch of his goons and uh, stabs both of his hands, rambles incoherently about humanity and her new level of understanding, and then she telepathically pulls information about the destinations of the other drug mules from his brain.
1: Yeah, so this is where we get another one of those, like, it is not actually possible to encode that information, where Steve was like, sound waves dissipate over a certain distance, like, superhearing won't help you. Uh, Yeah, same thing here. The way that she pulls this information... (laughs) He's like wild. This guy doesn't actually know the answer. It's not like in his memories. She like goes to the memory of the mm-hmm. scene of them standing in that room, like her and the four goons. And basically she's like looking at reflections of objects in the room that like the light is like seeing the boarding pass basically. And so she's like, re- she's pulling memories that this guy has that he like hasn't actually encoded. And they are like super vision strength memories it doesn't like none of it makes any sense like
0: the things that she sees are not things that this person has actually seen (laughs) it reminds me actually of a mechanic in cyberpunk uh, 2077 called brain dances where like it's basically like a detective mode thing where you like play back a scene and like look for clues in like the Mm. virtual reality construct of something but like through like this implant that they had but again like this guy hasn't actually seen these things (laughs)
1: Yeah, doesn't make sense. She, she does that, so she knows where the other meals are going, which apparently is just to, like, get the other drugs. Like, she wants more of this stuff. Also, she
0: doesn't kill this guy for some reason.
1: Yep. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so she returns back to her apartment,
0: um, meets up with her ditzy uh, roommate, and is able to like, I don't know, do like a full medical scan of her just by touching her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she reaches out to Morgan Freeman, who we now learn his name. I think I don't think we learned his name before. I never learned his name in the entire movie, so take that. I uh, only learned his name on my second watch. So, uh,
1: I, I just wanted to say that she researches Morgan Freeman by uh, like doing some like super computer user thing where she just like opens a bunch of windows at the same time and reads the information in all of them really fast. It's a really silly scene.
0: It's also made sillier by the fact that. Her roommate is like prattling on about like her nightlife or something. Yeah, the whole time. Yes. She looks him up and reads his entire bibliography, apparently in two minutes, and then calls him on multiple devices.
1: Yes. First the phone. And then she says, I can like she explains to him she can bend electromagnetism or something, or electromagnetic waves, and then like shows herself on his TV. And then on his, like, alarm clock and all these other things. She basically tells him that your hypotheses were,
0: you know, on the right track. I can control myself. I can control others. I have control of electromagnetism. And I have gained deep understanding of, and knowledge of the building blocks of the universe. What do I do?
1: Yeah. she. This is also the scene where she says uh, it is revealed to us that the 10% brain myth that they subscribe to is that the other parts of the brain are literally untouched because she says she is colonizing her own brain region by region yep.
0: yeah exactly, she says I'm at 28% you were right, you said that after 20% we can now unlock the rest, I've unlocked the rest yeah so, Lucy leaves her apartment and before, and she tells her roommate that her roommate needs to address her alcoholism in her kidney and liver failure funny <laughs> She prepares to leave the country, and uh, this is actually a cool little scene where it shows that uh, she's able to change her appearance at will. She, like, literally, like, does, like, a little, like, motion and immediately changes her hair color.
1: Because she's being looked for as somebody who shot a patient in a hospital. Yes. She's hiding. And before she
0: gets on the flight, she calls a French police precinct and tips them off about the drug locations. On the flight over, and this this is really the only verbiage i could come up with to describe what happened here she begins to dissolve my
1: only justification for the scene is that like this director learned about like a new cgi technique or something that was going to be like efficient and fun to put into the movie and they just like did it because i have no other premise or basis for this scene yeah
0: if if none of like the stuff that happened
1: here happened nothing about the rest of the movie changes no literally the only thing of minor value that happens in the scene is that she takes more of the drug because mm-hmm. that is just like not acknowledged at any other point, but like that's very minor.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, like in Avengers end game, the snap people dissolve. That's literally what begins to happen to her, but uh, she manages to shove more of CPH four into her mouth. And somehow that gives her the ability to pull it together.
1: Yeah, though. It's not, was not actually clear to me. She pulled it together because the last scene that I saw on the plane was that she exploded in a cloud of like energy and dust. Mm -hmm. But then like later it is revealed to us that she like that did not happen and that she is like a human person again and has been like taken into custody. So we have the,
0: uh, we have a scene of um, the other drug mules all being apprehended across Europe and taken to uh, one place. And then she also is taken into police custody in Paris this is not a problem for Lucy. She easily extricates herself from the restraints and disarms all the policemen, um, including the person that she uh, called, who is Captain Del Rio. Uh, and the Korean gangsters then, oh yeah, the gangsters are Korean. Um, if you watch it with subtitles on, uh, it explain, when they're talking, it just says, speaking Korean, so you know they're Korean. There's no other hints to it. Okay. <laughs> um the the gangsters storm the hospital where the other mules are being detained and there's a, and they shoot it up and start uh cutting these guys open to recover the drugs. Lucy realizes this is happening, takes control of Del Rio's car, apparently driving for the first time, and there's a pretty sweet car chase that highlights Lucy's like full array of telekinetic abilities and ability to basically do whatever she wants
1: at any point. Yeah. She also reveals this is her first time ever driving. Mm-hmm. Funny.
0: Um, she arrives at the hospital and is faced down by
1: half a dozen goons at gunpoint. This scene had a nice, like the, the dramatic imagery of it was interesting. Or like, almost like the sound of this scene was interesting. You have all these people standing here. Lucy like walks out from the restraints. You have all these people pointing guns at her. And she like waves her hand and they all just like are immediately incapacitated like knocked out or passed Mm -hmm. out or slept or whatever and you hear the sound of like there's actually like probably 30 people in this room (laughs) they all like hit the ground at the same time Uh, except for the del rio uh, captain del rio who she like targets as the person to like chauffeur her around town Mm -hmm. and the head goon right yeah and it's it's uh i thought it was nice yeah no violence she could have exploded all their heads or something Yes, it's
0: very clear that she could have done that. And she doesn't. Instead, well, she doesn't actually lay a finger on any of them. She no. tosses all their guns up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and then just telepathically throws them out of the way into the wall.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're, I guess we're kind of talking about two scenes. There's the one where she escapes her restraints and sleeps all the people and brings oh, them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, doc, I, the police one, right. Yes, and now we have this one that you're talking about, right, where it's like, yeah, she levitates all their guns to the ceiling which includes other weapons. There's like ninja stars and stuff that come off of these people throwing stars. And I found this scene not fun compared to the first one where she disarms all the policemen because the like goons reactions in the scene are like so non-believable <laughs> because she takes all their weapons, throws them to the ceiling. They've been disarmed by this like ultra powerful telekinetic stranger and their response is to go try to punch her in the face. <laughs> and her response is to not like hurt them. She like floats them to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And instead of being like, oh shit, I am being exercise tele- connect- or whatever the right word is. They just keep trying to punch her from the air. <laughs> and they just look mad about it. <laughs> it makes no sense.
0: I mean, come on. You know, the mage has low constitution. <laughs> get up and punch her
1: <laughs> yeah what happens after she takes the case from this like semi-head goon is she like leaves she tells to go rio to come along he's like why and then she like kisses him which is like a little bit nervous like oh wow are we gonna turn into like a sort of like a love <laughs> love thing going on here but she says She wants him as a reminder and the kiss implying that he's like a reminder of her humanity or her desire or like love or something, which is inconsistent with what she said earlier in the movie when she hit 20% brain capacity or 28%, which is to say that she had like no human desires anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. I remember specifically her saying that it's a thing. Yeah. I actually did like that little touch though, because I really was just, I don't know. I got a kick out of the, of Del Rio just being like, what the hell do you need me for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucy leaves with Del Rio and the drugs to go meet up with Norman, who has assembled a brain trust of, I don't know, brain capacity experts. Uh, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. It, they're just guys in lab coats. And so Jang arrives just at that as she is leaving and tells his driver to follow her. And he brings a bevy of very heavily armed gangsters with him you know, Lucy rambles incoherently to the scientists and this is where the one plus one is not one thing happens.
1: Yeah. And while she's doing this, she's like straight up manipulating matter and like whatever floating pens around and turning them into other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get a whole speech here basically from her on like reality is not what you think it is basically.
0: Yeah. And uh, yes. And so there's no like denying what's happening because it is happening right before their eyes. So Del Rio and a few policemen engage in a shootout with the gangsters as um, the scientists do something immensely irresponsible. Yeah. So we talk a lot about like the ethics of human research here and the numbers of hoops that you have to jump through to do stuff with uh, human research. These guys don't do any of that. No. Lady shows up. She starts morphing her hand, floating pens, and they're like, all right let's uh mainline some cph4 solution into you
1: sweet yeah that's what you want that's what we're here for (laughs) let's do it i mean it is her request yes there is informed consent there and
0: you know what lucy knows more than any of them about what is going on and they couldn't stop her even if she tried so yeah why not right so they do this a lot of things happen first uh you know that like early meme the I'm a fire and my laser and like you know a laser comes out of the guy's mouth?
1: Uh yes, yeah, I know that.
0: So she does that, that happens. Um she turns into like the venom symbiote from Spider-Man and like black tendrils go like everywhere, snaking up all along the floor and into, into the computer. And then she turns the lab into the white, the construct from the Matrix, you know that like white room where like they have a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. The room of requirement for tech people. (laughs) You see the title cards, which have been steadily incrementing up in percent throughout the movie, 10%, 20%, 40%. It goes up to like, you know, 80% here. And she begins dissolving matter and reconstituting it to build a supercomputer that can hold all her knowledge. And so then the shootout between the police and the gangsters comes to a head when the head goon in charge, shoots a bazooka at the door for some reason. Jane like busts into the room and then she transcends space and time. I I wasn't kidding about that earlier. That 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 is literally what happens.
1: Yes. But she brings her office chair with her. (laughs) Yes. And for those of you wondering, this is a Herman Miller embody model office chair. It's sixteen hundred (laughs) dollars. It's it's very nice. You should consider getting one. Sixteen hundred? It's a great deal for an office
0: chair, okay? Holy crap. I mean, it's very comfortable. I'm pretty sure I could get, like, a human-scale chair for, like,
1: $300. <laughs> this is a Herman Miller, okay? <laughs> this is not an ad. Okay. So this chair comes
0: with her <laughs> to transcend space and time, and she finds that she literally controls, like, the flow of time with, like, a flick of her wrist. And she travels back in time encountering, you know, like, Native Americans, dinosaurs she encounters um the australopithecus lucy mm-hmm. back in the
1: great rift valley millions of years ago and she does like an adam and god uh thing with it where she like touches its finger
0: yep it's nice, nice. and then she witnesses the big bang and the birth of the universe
1: hell of a drug <laughs> uh so to be clear we we skipped this line but when she was told earlier what she was like drug muling the like person that told them was like oh yeah this is gonna be like the hot new drug in europe where this is just like the first shipment uh kids are gonna love it so yeah i don't very lucy loves it i guess
0: yeah i mean clearly nobody knew what they were messing with because uh (laughs) Okay, so like, I'm not exaggerating. These are, this, is on, this is nakedly what has happened. These people have created a designer drug that allows humans to control space-time.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the story of this movie.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, um, Jang approaches to shoot her in the back of the head, but as he pulls the trigger, re- Lucy reaches 100% capacity and then just vanishes into thin air, much to everyone's confusion. Jang is just like, what the hell? Where did she go before Del Rio barges in and he is and then Jang is shot dead by Del Rio
1: where he falls into the uh, Herman Miller and body office chair. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: uh, it's it's very cinematic. <laughs> Lucy's computer outputs a what I have described here as a void USB because it has like a star field like pattern on it that like moves. Yes. And Norman takes this. Uh, this is apparently the sum of all Lucy's knowledge. And then Del Rio obviously is also confused and asks, "Where is she?" And just as he asks that, he receives a text message on his phone, reading, "I am everywhere." And then I think Morgan Freeman says something about like, "Oh, what do we do with the time we have now?" I don't remember. It was, I don't know. It's like some like capping thing about time.
1: Yeah, the time thing comes back. The time. Uh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> okay something about time there's also some like ethical line somewhat before this about like whether it's responsible for them to have lucy's knowledge and she basically says like ignorant people cause problems you know just a bunch of smart stuff and also like this situation
0: can be replicated immensely easily because these people know how to make this drug
1: yeah And they could probably do it with, like, less thugs and, like, military and police personnel involved, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that's Lucy. Yeah. What a strange, strange movie. It is super strange. The strangeness, which we, like, maybe didn't emphasize enough uh, earlier, is also, like, amplified a little bit by the strangeness of, like, Scarlett Johansson's character, Lucy. (laughs) To be clear, as soon as she went into that stoic cerebral state after hitting 20% brain capacity, like she never went out of that. Like she's like a weird space case, like hyper efficient stoic killer for like the entire movie. I just feel like it adds like a very strange aspect to the whole movie, considering she's like her character is so much the focus of the movie.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this movie oddly works for me, despite how dumb it is despite the fact that there really isn't much of a story there. And despite the fact that like, there's really not all any dramatic tension at any point, because again, as I mentioned before, Lucy encounters absolutely zero barriers to accomplishing anything she wants to do.
1: Right. And also importantly, there is no point where the audience feels like she could be encountering a barrier because we are convinced very early on that she is like all powerful
0: from a traditional like story structure and like narrative structure, like this movie really shouldn't work, but for whatever reason, it's, it's kind of fun. Like it's really, really dumb
1: fun. Yeah. This movie is exactly, I think what it wanted to be, even including the pseudo intellectualism on like time and all these other elements. Like I think they put the right amount of those in there for what they wanted this movie to feel like.
0: Yeah, it actually, you know, like TV shows when they're doing like a hacking scene or like a technological scene, they'll, ju- they'll just like throw a whole bunch of like technological, like nonsense, technical keywords or cons- computer science keywords in completely wrong contexts. Mm-hmm. I feel like the t- the philosophical stuff and the incoherent rambling was like their equivalent of that.
1: But for like philosophy or something yeah. like philosophy, techno babble or philosophy babble. Yeah. And I
0: don't have any way of like knowing this for certain, but I feel like sometimes the techno babble, you know, on like CSI or whatever, or when they're hacking, a lot of times the writers are just having fun with it. They're like trying to like make the dumbest techno babble they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like this, I have no basis for like this, but part of me feels like, especially in like the one plus one is not one thing or like whatever the hell it was. Part of me feels like they were just like, what is the dumbest shit we can put on paper?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. Um, in some ways, like if you had said, OK, like imagine like kind of pitching the script, like, OK, person like takes some drugs, they become like superhuman and like their brain and they get all these like godlike superpowers okay well what kind of like can we kind of like make this have a connection to the human experience somebody's like yeah just like let's just put like this weird philosophy tilt on it like what Mm -hmm. what are common like philosophical concepts that sound really cerebral people be like oh well people like to think about infinity and time travel a lot so let's just like do that let's say some stuff about that and that's what they did
0: it works so um shall we jump into our segments here
1: yeah let's do it
0: all right neuro moments What's do you have a most neural
1: moment? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just do that? Let's make that sound. Can that be my answer? Okay, <laughs> uh. okay I'll I'll
0: I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead it. and take you one. This. Um, so, Morgan Freeman says there are a hundred billion neurons in the human body. Yes.
1: Nice. An accurate statement. Okay. Okay, yeah. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Would you
0: like to move on to a near all moment?
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, near all moment. I mean, can we just do the 10% brain thing? Can we just both say that it's the 10% brain so, thing? Like, just like the entire movie, the movie <laughs> Lucy. <and this laughs> the movie, it's your near-oh moment. Because
0: that's the premise of the whole fucking movie. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. My near-oh moment is specifically the 20% brain capacity thing. Like, not agreeing with what he is saying in his lecture at that time. Like, okay. her actions don't agree with that. And that... A goof, I guess, like bothers me because it is literally like the turning point of the movie, and they fucked it up. <laughs> okay,
0: so the, so the so the script supervisor didn't catch that there, and uh, yeah, what we see is literally the opposite of more, what Morgan Freeman just told us.
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah, what we see is not what we get, or whatever. <laughs> like, it's very violated. So,
0: power rankings. So, so this is not a brain computer interface movie. No, although technically she does kind of interface with like a computer at some point, but that's not really we're not going to worry about. I don't think this is a clinical neurology movie. No neurological disorders or are are really
1: referenced at any point. No, there are Um, memory elements. There is a memory scene There's multiple memory scenes, but I still wouldn't say the point of this movie is memory. It's maybe the closest, though. Uh,
0: Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. So, yeah, so I wouldn't put it in memory. I wouldn't put it in sensory motor integration either. It's not an Oliver Sacks movie. It is not an Oliver Sacks movie. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Oliver Sacks unfortunately passed away a few years ago, so I don't know if uh, he'll be writing any more books on the... uh, 10% myth
1: not really a psychiatry movie not vision or
0: visual processing and so i think we have our second entry in cognitive enhancement yes
1: i love that the first one is the secret of nim it's good yes
0: uh and I think Cognitive Enhancement is underselling what happens in this movie a bit, as I alluded to, and why I was so dang surprised by this movie. But I, I think it
1: belongs here. I, just, I feel very tempted to just go watch Limitless now.
0: I think we should, because I really enjoy comparative criticism.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: So I would like to. We should. As for where this stacks up with The Secret of Nim. You know what? I will put it above The Secret of Nim. Uh, It was a bigger budget movie. It's a lot flashier. There's probably more. It is more fun to watch than The Secret of Nim. I enjoyed The Secret of Nim a lot. Probably as much as Lucy. But Lucy, like. Cognitive enhance. I don't know, like enhancement. It just feels like it should go in the top spot.
1: If it's the theme a little bit more directly. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that it's more entertaining, which is like kind of uh almost like sad in a way because like Secret of Nim has this like nostalgic factor and I th- really thought I would really like seeing Secret of Nim again, but I actually was like it was less interesting to me
0: <laughs> watching it recently. The hand-drawn animation in the Secret of Nim is is gorgeous and like it every sure. frame is
1: literally a piece of art. Yes. It's fantastic for that reason. It's just maybe a little somehow a little less like compelling or interesting in some way. I, I want to say story wise, but obviously this doesn't have a good story, but it's just like <laughs> the, the
0: I, I mean, the I engagement
1: think lot, factor of Lucy is, is maybe the, what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, like I think the fact that the movie works or at least mostly works when it really, really shouldn't is like what is selling me on this freaking movie.
1: Yeah, it's like when somebody gives you like an odd combination of food and you're like, oh wow, that's like really entertaining and that becomes very memorable. That's like a little bit what you get with Lucy. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, none of that should have worked, but I had a good time and so I want a little more of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, although most of the time it's like salted licorice
0: and that's absolutely <laughs> fucking disgusting. I don't know why Scandinavians like can eat that stuff. They're absolutely insane. <laughs> What are your S- thoughts on salted licorice
1: <laughs> I don't know what my thoughts on salted licorice are, but you're like <laughs> your total derision of like uh, Scandinavians as a whole just reminded me of when we asked in our last episode whether Koreans laughed normally or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just trying to think to myself whether there was any Koreans laughing in this movie. <laughs> uh, there are Koreans in this movie.
0: I don't think any of them ever laugh. No, they're not. They're not a really smiley bunch in this movie. now. So, um, all right. So there it is. Uh, Cognitive enhancement. Lucy, number one, and then Secret of Nim, number two, for now. And we'll see where we'll see where Limitless uh, falls because I'm I'm now just curious as to like because like Limitless sounds like a much more grounded movie that is going to is more in line with what I expected. I think.
1: Yeah. I think I might have seen Limitless at some point in my life. Uh, oh, that's not. A good I remember. Sign if you
0: remember nothing of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a period of my life where I watched many movies with like no real connection to them because I got free movie tickets every week uh, to see movies in theaters. So I would just watched whatever came out that week. Uh, so, what is our takeaway here, Stephen?
0: Our primary takeaway should be that we use all of our brain. Not necessarily every single neuron at every single second of our lives, but in some way, all of it is useful and doing stuff at some point in time. So take care of your brain. Don't get hit on the head. Great. Thank you for joining me, Nick, for uh, for this discussion of Lucy. Finally, uh, gosh, we we bumped this a couple times for for other things that came up
1: yeah lucy was mistreated on our uh queue but it happened and i'm happy for it yep thank you for joining me for this as
0: always uh thank you to everyone who tuned in and uh, we will see you next time
1: with an actual neuro lesson, it's nice.